Hello and welcome to the Intrafish Podcast. I am Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and today I'm joined by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor, and we are finishing up our Friday by looking back at some of the top stories that we've seen over the past week or so and selecting which ones we want to talk about today. And for today's episode, we're going to dive down into the investment community and in particular, the flood of new investors that are coming into seafood, aquaculture, fisheries, the ocean space, and discuss where they're going, what they might do, uh, whether or not they know what they're doing, um, and just uh, and, and just discuss uh, where this all might be going. Is this a turning point where investors pile in uh, from the venture capital community, uh, more from the private equity community, risk capital? Is this when they sort of make their mark on seafood and push it into uh, the new era? So, John, uh, you spoke with uh, one of these private equity funds uh, last week, or earlier this week, rather, and they have some big ambitions, uh, and it's just one of many that have been popping up. But let's, let's talk a bit about, uh, about them, Varuna Capital. What did, what did you learn? What do they have on their minds? Yeah, I talked to uh, Todd Crescenzo at, at Varuna, and uh, I think the interesting thing, and this goes to your introduction, the interesting thing about what they're doing is they didn't start out with the fun necessarily. The way Todd explained it to me is he knew that they needed industry expertise in industry advisors people who knew you know the uh aquaculture sector uh on on a pretty good level before they went anywhere so they they using that strategy they put together a team of advisors uh in, uh, um, both from a financial point of view but more so from uh, the likes of Neil Sims and Bjorn Merseth and some of the other people who know the industry or have been around the industry for quite a while. So that was their approach. And, um, you know, they, they've got it together. They're hoping to have uh, several hundred million dollars in this fund by the end of the year and uh, even do some one-off deals before before the fund is fully, um, you know, established. So, um, it, it's an interesting approach and a good approach, I think, because you mentioned in the intro that, you know, do, do a lot of these new investors even know what they're getting into? And that's a legitimate thing to ask, right? Yeah, the race is on, right? It seems to get a, a piece of the aquaculture sector in particular. And what we've seen over the course of our careers and over the course of the uh, last, say, 10 years in particular, um, is we have seen a lot of private equity uh, investment coming in, but they've been um, largely traditional private equity companies uh, that have seen sort of broad, major companies that fit into, um, say, the fast-moving consumer goods sector. So people like Birdseye Igloo, uh, Young's, uh, Bumblebee, those types of companies where in essence, they're just a consumer brand, um, and and oftentimes, um, what happens with private equity companies is they they do 
they do get a lot more than they bargain for when when they get into seafood because they don't understand the complexities of purchasing. Um, but in general, um, those types of companies are not that um, they're not that difficult to understand or to operate. Now, the places where people are looking where it gets more um, technical, that is where the opportunity lies and where I think these ag and ag tech investors are starting to look. Um, now, it's not an undiscovered space by any uh, stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of funds like Varuna that are jumping in, um, funds that have come over the last uh, few years. Neptune, um, which was uh, started by a former AmeriCapital executive, uh, Tortalseth, that's going to be a seafood-specific fund. You have Bonafide, uh, you have um, on the uh, on the public side, you have uh, Holberg Funds, it's investing, uh, has a, a seafood-specific fund. Um, you have Aquaspark. So there's a few that have been around investing in this space and, um, and trying to get things going. There's private investors in Norway in particular, a lot of them who have their fingers in these different pies. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing um, these new investors coming in and recognizing that aquaculture is a growth sector. Um, they see all the projections and the need for protein, and they also see, I think, the move away from terrestrial proteins and the move toward plant-based uh, mm. proteins. And I think seafood sort of fits into that sustainability niche, um, but I do think there's a recognition that it is not nearly... Uh, where it needs to be on innovation and uh, digitalization. Um, so, so I just from your perspective, I mean, what are some of the areas that you see that that these investors might start to put their their funds? Well, you know, it, it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago that the old seafood investor, if you will, or you know, the one that we knew. Um, would invest in a company or a brand and you know that that's kind of been the approach this is this is a whole different ball game this is investors investing in what i would say as you mentioned they're investing in innovation they're investing in technology but they're investing in the future they 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 clearly have a view of what the protein future looks like and in a lot of ways aquaculture in particular fits in there nicely you know it's it can be measured it can be monitored and as opposed to you know wild harvest which is a little little more uh, difficult to do so this is uh, aquaculture is fitting into me in a much broader uh, investment scenario that has been underway for a while and that is you know future technology future innovation, uh, the, the, the way we are going to produce food going forward, because we are, we are crossing over into a whole new uh, approach into the way we produce food, whether it be cell-based, plant-based, you know, uh, land-based aquaculture. These are all relatively new ways of looking at something that really hasn't changed for you know, hundreds of years, and and but and that is uh, food production. You know, we we 
we've it's definitely you know we, we mechanized it in 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 that sense you know we don't do it by hand so much anymore but this is this is a big uh step forward i think yeah i, I think it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what these companies uh what these investors bring to the table um like you said oftentimes they're looking to disrupt a system um and the uh uh, seed to growth ventures that just started a 100 million dollar uh investment fund in oceans which is not a lot of money um they uh, are backed by lucas walton who's the grandson of sam walton uh, the founder of walmart um, which I find ironic, by the way, because you could argue that part of why the food system is under such pressure and has cut so many corners is because of companies like Walmart who have really, really pushed down uh, costs and forced people to, uh, to cut some corners. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Seed to Growth Ventures, they are... Um, the way that they're looking at it is, hey, let's disrupt, uh, let's disrupt the uh, the food system itself. Now, their big win, and boy, was it a big win, was early on uh, investing in Beyond Meat, and um, it was a loss-making company, and they liked the management, and then uh, were able to bring other people on board. And I, I think when it comes to uh, when it comes to these risky, riskier companies and startups, what I find interesting is the tolerance for failure. That they, it's it's just a, a basic hedging of bets. It's all right. We're going to invest in these companies here. And um, Chuck Templeton, who uh, is with Seed to Growth, he was saying, you know, half of them aren't going to make it, um, but they need to have those breakouts. You know, and and that's really what they're looking for is that breakout technology that's going to um, upend the way the system works. And you could Beyond Meat's a great example. Um, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods have completely disrupted the uh, land-based uh, protein uh, space, um, red meat in particular. And I mean dramatically. I mean we, you know, we we did our webinar on plant-based seafood. It wasn't that long ago, was it? It was a few months ago. Um, And I would say in that time, if you look at how quickly things have sped up, um, it's kind of phenomenal the advances that are being made. And that is coming with uh, companies investing in it. And so along those same lines, another area where these new investors really are getting excited is alternative uh, feed ingredients. Um, we're working on a report about that right now, and it's fascinating that uh, you can you can see how quickly it's moving. Again, you know, pull up our archives, and you can look at I don't know, let's say fish meal made with black soldier fly or something like that. And mm-hmm. you know, you might see it um, way back when you know a long, long time ago. And I remember when these things start popping up on the radar, they, they seem novel, they seem interesting, they seem a little silly. Um, and then all of a sudden, these companies turn around and get tens upon tens of millions of dollars in investment. And they go from being, um, yeah, that's a funny idea, that's interesting, to, whoa, these are companies now that are right on the forefront. 
And, um, and I just find that fascinating how quickly things move when you have disruptive technology. Yeah, and I think these investors, again, um, it's a wide swath of investors that we, you know, we don't really know very well or we're learning, you know, we're learning about them. But they, they're coming from everywhere, Silicon Valley, everywhere you can think of. And um, they're investing, again, what I think is in the future, in the future of food production. Now, when it comes to aquaculture in particular, I do like this trend uh, that I'm seeing uh, where they're bringing in seafood experienced people, whether they're bringing them in in a full time way, like a position like, uh, you know, some are doing or if they're bringing them in as advisors, because seafood, you know, it's always been a little tricky. Aquaculture is, you know, it's it's stable to some degree, but it's not stable to some degree as well. So you investors that don't understand this don't, you know, don't have the stomach for this. Um, they, they probably shouldn't be in the space, but the fact that the ones that are interested are bringing in talent or at least uh, leaning on industry uh, veterans uh, who know what's going on. That's a good sign to me that that's a sign that these guys and gals who are investing are, are in it for a longer term and not just a quick, you know, five-year turnaround necessarily. It's a good point because as much as the industry needs to attract uh, new talent, be it young talent or just people from different sectors, um, it is still largely peopled by uh, by um, by workers and executives that that started out in the sector. Um, and that's, that's a good thing. And I think that's part of what makes seafood, uh, and aquaculture and fisheries, um, such a fantastic industry is, you know, there's a lot of love for this sector. There's a lot of people that want to do it right. Um, and that has meant that there's been a lot of workarounds, I guess, for lack of a better uh, way of phrasing it over the years to try to get efficiency, uh, into the, the value chain. Um, and that I think is the big, uh, the big shift that we're going to see, uh, happening is this shift towards efficiency towards AI. Um, it's going to happen very, very fast. And it's been a drum, you know, DNB in particular has been beating on this drum of, Hey, the industry is behind on digitalization. Um, and, and I think they're absolutely right. Um, movie which is the world's largest salmon farmer and the world's most valuable seafood company they just posted their second quarter earnings and it was it was ugly um earnings were down by about 50 percent um and and they're gonna have to lay off a lot of people over the course of the next three four years if they don't show that growth and uh the ceo ivan vinheim he he was saying that a big part of what they need to do is invest in efficiency and, and in particular technology. Um, and so I think that these smaller companies that are going to come into the into the space, that's what they will probably bring. Um, but they need to scale. Um, Brighton Shang, who is the uh, CEO and founder of Aquabyte, who's doing uh, AI uh, underwater cameras to um, estimate biomass and look at sea lice. 
I spoke with him about kind of his journey and uh, and it's remarkable. You know, he started the company. He, he had already been working on other startups and um, and had the, the knowledge and the connections to develop uh, something that could be applied to uh, to a lot of different sectors. And he went to Aquanor in 2017. And then here we are three years later, and he's got some major investors on board, just got another um, $10 million of financing. He's got connections uh, across Norway. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing how quickly good technology gets picked up um, and how quickly it can, uh, it can change, the, uh, change the dynamics. Um, yeah, and here he is, you know, three years later, and he just needs to be able to scale, and the company is is moving quite fast. Now, what's interesting, um, and I don't think, uh, I don't think Brighton, uh, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't say he was worried about this, but, um, but Google comes in with their AI technology as well, right? Um, so that's what gets interesting is companies. Um, begin to see the opportunities. They begin to see some of these startups um, doing these disruptive things, and immediately they go, "Well, there's an acquisition target, or um, you know, what do these upstarts know that we don't? Can we go in and just do it?" Um, and that's where things, I think, start to snowball with these these uh, VC and and private equity companies, especially out of Silicon Valley, where. You know, it's relatively, you know, in the VC world and the private equity world, everybody kind of knows everybody, it seems. Um, it seems like they like to just sort of hand companies around in the private equity world and just do ring around the rosy. Um, but, but I think that one thing that, that Shang said that I thought was really interesting was he said, and, and they've set up in Bergen and, and in other parts in Norway, but he, he stressed that importance, or he's already realized the importance of those relationships with people on the farm. Um, and I'm talking about the men and women that actually run the operations, not necessarily the CEOs or COOs. And there is this, this necessary, um, this, this uh, hybrid approach that I think will be interesting to see um, all this new technology, all these new ideas, will they be embraced? And how do these companies go about doing it? Um, you know, can they just do it by sheer force of, of the funding and the names attached to the funds? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll remember during our uh, land-based uh, webinar a week or two ago, uh, it was mentioned that, you know, in, in particular to land-based salmon, that one big success is what's needed. Right. You know, one big victory. And everybody's looking at Sapphire, of course, uh, as that possibly the one. But the, the, the point about that is when you have those successes that get so much attention, then, as you mentioned, the VC, the investment community, it's its own ecosystem, but yeah. that information penetrates that ecosystem. And then it, it just energizes everybody in there. Well, what's this all about? What's, what's this aquaculture? What's this land-based stuff? What's going And before you know it, you're getting what you're getting now. You're getting all this new interest, new money. And I, I don't know if you agree, but I, I definitely think We'll, we've never seen, well, I know we've never seen anything like this, but I think we are on the cusp of some 
major, major transformation of this industry that we probably won't recognize in a decade uh, compared to you know what we're used to traditionally. No, I totally agree, and I think that that's it. It again goes back to efficiency. It goes back to technology. I think obviously the demand is there. Um, people know how to raise fish, um, salmon in particular. Um, I'm kind of setting wild fish off to the side, you know, for the purposes of this discussion because I think that's a another kind of interesting area. But it's I don't know that these new uh, these new startups and this new technology will apply so much to wild fish. I think there'll mm. be applications, but I think primarily what they are interested in is the aquaculture space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people know how to raise fish. Uh, they, they know the cost inputs, they know, um, you know, the, the, uh, employment costs and everything. But again, when they start looking at how to cut costs, then things get tricky because uh, you have your number one cost in aquaculture is feed. Your number two cost is people. And without efficiency in those two areas, it's really, really hard to pressure costs in, in, other, other, uh, in other places. And those are two sides of the same coin. Um, and, and this is just the, the global reality of uh, every business, but agriculture in particular is you automate and then you're going to have to uh, look at not just a smaller staff, but a staff that's trained to do, um, to do different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, it's going to be interesting too. I mean, one of the things we've talked about is how, how this technology suddenly accelerates in this COVID environment. Um, and it's not like a light switch. It's not that COVID will be on and COVID will be off. Um, these things will change forever. And I'm curious how you, I mean, how do you see it as uh, when you look at this technology, look at these investments, to what extent do you think it's being um, kind of supercharged by, by the pandemic? Yeah, I, I don't, I think a lot of it uh, was just, happening and was going to happen anyway i think what may be supercharged is the factories themselves and Mm -hmm. by that i mean you know everybody knows by now that almost every producer of seafood in the world uh, has pivoted or tried to pivot to retail if a lot of their clients were in food service okay what that requires however is equipment to turn a whole fish into fillets and other things and packaging and all those things so and you can already see a lot of uh, factories have had to retrofit that in and um, forever kind of have changed their production system so post-covid i'm interested to find out and like you said covid's not going to go on and off you know it well it came on like a switch but it probably won't go off like a switch right but Uh, All this new effort, all this new production uh, in factories designed for retail, is that a lasting thing? Mm. Um, Or when food service, assuming it does, comes back full bore, what happens? But as far as an investment point of view related to COVID, 
that's what I see right now. I see a lot of retrofitting of factories to pivot to retail. So that's new equipment and all that. So I don't know. I don't Where do you see like COVID direct investment? Well, you know, what I think is interesting is the idea of, of AI, machine learning, um, remote technologies, uh, blockchain, all of that plays really, really well in a controlled system, in a controlled environment like aquaculture. Um, and when um, the, the stuff is, you know, to, 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 to do the work that you need to do in fish farms is not easy. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a challenge. You're, you're underwater, you know, net, everything from net cleaning to um, like what, uh, what Aquabyte is doing to biomass estimation to things like that. All of that, it, you cannot have uh, direct contact with it. You have to, uh, you have, to have uh, in some way or another, you have to go down under the water to take care of this stuff. Um, now... Being able to do things more remotely uh, in this day and age, I think, is going to be increasingly important because you do need to rely on the technology that you have. Um, I was thinking, you know, one one area um, that could use some advancement, I think, is going to be advanced really quickly uh, in aquaculture in particular, um, is a lot more a robust uh, monitoring systems. Um, in particular, if land-based salmon farming, for example, takes off, um, I am assuming that there is going to be leaps and bounds. There's companies that, that of course, do monitoring and do, you know, allow for remote monitoring. Um, but when you start getting the, the biomass that people are, are um, looking at putting in the water, whether it's salmon or whatever species people, you know, um, diversify into... You've got a lot of fish there in a single uh, place, um, and being able to be on top of that is going to be increasingly important. You're not going to be able to afford a huge staff to um, if you're going to make these things efficient. Um, and you look at what what have some of the accidents been that have just decimated an entire uh, harvest? It's been oxygen, or it's been you know some other uh, you know, some other typically, um, gas associated or, or some kind of system associated disasters that probably could have been avoided if, you know, if there were, um, a little bit better technologies for letting workers know when things are going the wrong way. Um, so I see those types, I think I see with remote working, um, and with AI and machine learning there, I think is a, you know, there's a, a nexus here. Uh, where the investment is is going to be uh, is going to be going in this COVID environment, and I think that's where we'll see a lot of it is um, you know is is uh, is machine learning. So yeah, so it, it's going to be very very interesting to see where uh, where where people start to look. But what I do think is 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 certain is that I don't think we're going to see as much investment in biomass. I think people are probably, especially VC risk capital, even private equity, I think they're going to let the uh, fish farmers farm the fish, and they're going to figure out, well, what industries can I invest in that's going to make that more efficient? Um, because I think increasingly, if you are a successful 
successful fish farmer and you have a lot of biomass and you're doing it in a very efficient way, you're either going to eventually, um, you know, be on the stock market, um, the way that movie and all the other major Norwegian salmon farmers are. So you can have quick access to capital and usually, except for the exception of, of this last quarter, which was miserable, usually, um, you can make pretty good money in salmon farming. So it's either going to be there or your Cargills or your Tysons or your other major ag conglomerates are going to uh, start uh, buying them up because it, it does fit in a, in a system like that. But I don't see these new investors coming in and, and getting biomass. I think they're really about um, how can I make things more efficient? Um, how can I disrupt what's already there? Um, but to your point earlier, I think you're right. I feel like we're... I feel like in general, there's a push uh, on food technology and ag tech right now that is kind of unprecedented. I think that um, a lot of it has come from uh, the the explosion in plant-based um, uh, products because I think plant-based fits right in with the sustainable investing. And, and that has become, you know, you can't underestimate, especially when you look at who's behind these VCs and who's behind uh, some of these in investment funds, you do see a lot of times that there are groups that have a sustainability mission, have a sustainability uh, ethos, and maybe even built into their into their mission and policies is they, they must invest in, in companies that are deemed sustainable. So I think that, um, I think people are, are looking for that next big sustainable investment and, um, aquaculture may fit that bill. Yeah, that's, uh, uh that was a point Todd at Varuna made, um, uh, quite clear that, you know, the pension funds and sovereign wealth funds that, they deal with they have you know they want to make investments in companies with environmental social and corporate government framework that is focused on sustainability is focused on the future so that's why aquaculture looks so attractive because when you just look at it at first glance you're like wow okay yeah this fits a lot of the uh criteria so I totally agree. I think that that sustainability outlook and uh, you know the future of food is is really what's behind a lot of the investors' minds right now. Well, you know what's interesting too is um, think about the subtle changes in how uh, food technology is viewed. So over the course of of the time that we've been covering Aqua Bounty, for example, oh, yeah. um, I mean that was you know Frankenfish and, and all of the opposition to GMOs in general. Um, that has really fallen away. That's been yeah. fascinating to see. Is that I I think for you know for a while, um, and there's still opposition to to GMOs, of course. Um, and, and still opposition to Aqua Bounty in particular. But if you look at what's happened with that company, the money that they're able to raise, they just did a share issue. I think they raised around, I want to say $30 million, somewhere around there. And, um, and, and I, I think that's a sign of the times that 
there will be interesting advances in genetics, fish health, things like that, that maybe a decade ago would have been, um, would have been frowned upon. Whereas now I think there is a realization too, and this does go to COVID, I think, that the food, uh, the food system is, is broken in some ways, that it's not functioning well. And I think we saw um, when, the, when the pandemic first set in that there were some real issues and there continue to be issues, right, and, uh, in processing and, and, other, uh, and other areas where it's just clear that they're not being done efficiently, they're not being done safely. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, you know, and this may be another another conversation at a, another time, but where does that all leave the wild harvest sector? Mm. You know, all, all this that we just talked about is very uh, futuristic outlook, you know, very focused on technology, efficiency, you know, different ways of food production. Where does that leave the wild sector, which, you know, it's a, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement, but it is significantly behind in a lot of these things we've been talking about as compared to, you know, top aquaculture producers. So is that a bad thing necessarily for them or can they turn that into or, you know, can they ride that as something unique? You know, we're we're not, you know, we're not the robots. We're the, you know, we're the fishermen out on the water blah 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 i don't know what do you think like where does i haven't thought it through so i should probably shut up but where does where does that leave that sector i've never known you to shut up when you haven't thought things through so that's true um but uh but it's a really good question right because i mean i think already what has been interesting is the explosion in new builds, uh, new vessels that are being um, uh, um, constructed. And those designs are really sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, and the electronics on board are sophisticated. And so in some ways, in this weird parallel way, I think that efficiency is happening on large vessels. And, you know, those companies will probably be fine provided that there's uh that there's uh their fisheries are well managed um i think it's a smaller uh independent fisherman um and i wonder i wonder what the future looks like for smaller independent fishermen um do they do they exist in the way well full stop do they exist um, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why the fishing industry uh, on the small scale has struggled. Um, part of it is you have a, a new generation of of, uh, of people that they don't um, maybe have that same connection to it that their uh, parents did or their grandparents did, and it's still largely these smaller companies tend to be family affairs. So it, it's it's to me, fishing is going to evolve into a much more, um, I mean, it already has, but even more uh, industrialized. Um, and, and that's too bad on one side. On the other side, from a sustainability point of view, um, if you have well-regulated re- fisheries and you have um, companies with skin in the game, um, that 
can sometimes lead to good management. But I think on the small scale fishermen, in terms of big volumes of fish, um, I just don't know. I don't know. Can yeah. they can they afford to implement that technology? Does that pay off for what these small scale fishermen are are doing? I don't know. Well, you're right, though. I mean, on uh, on boat technology in particular, I, I mean, holy cow, some of the advances in in uh, technology used on these boats and designs of these boats in the last decade has been amazing, right? But I don't sense the same enthusiasm from the investment community that we deal with right. for that investment as opposed to, uh, you know, something more aquaculture related. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just don't think... And I think there's so much misinformation out there about the wild fish sector. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, I see that a lot of these companies that are making the cases for uh, sustainable oceans investing and sustainable aquaculture investing, they almost always go to that well of the wild fisheries being under threat. And that's, we could debate that, you know, for days, of course. But I think that that's sort of, um, oftentimes with people that are coming in new to the space, they seem to sort of have that as a given, that wild fisheries are unsustainable, and that's why aquaculture is going to win out. Uh, and we, we know better, um, there are unsustainable fisheries and there are sustainable fisheries in the world. Um, but that's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if some of these investors, as they get to know uh, the seafood industry a bit better, if they can see the merits of um, investing in the wild harvest sector and, and making, those, uh, making those operations um, even more sustainable um, and integrating them into a portfolio. But I, I sense that in general right now, most investors and most of the excitement is really about aquaculture um, <laughs> in the ocean and, and land-based in particular. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I think, I think that's where we'll start to see the most immediate advances. All right, we'll leave it there. The conversation will continue on intrafish.com because we'll be doing loads of coverage of all these uh, new technologies and all this investment along with everything else that we do. Uh, remember that you can sign up for our newsletters there on Interfish. Just pop down to the menu. Uh, we have all kinds of newsletters you can sign up to for whatever your need and your interest might be. Uh, we also, coming up in a month, uh, we have our Salmon Summit, and that's going to be fantastic. The Land-Based Salmon uh, webinar was a huge success. Really enjoyed it. Uh, we got great feedback. So we'll be looking more broadly at salmon farming and disruptions to that sector on the 22nd of September. Registration's already open, though, so uh, go ahead and go to intrafishevents.com, and you can, uh, you can register there and uh, reserve your virtual seat. Uh, all right, folks, we will look forward to discussing more seafood news next week. Have a good weekend.